And you totally ruined my transition, Shana. See, I was going to things that were broken. Philip Grubauer is broken. The data is broken. (laughs) Analysis is broken. (laughs) Everything is broken. (laughs) Is the season. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. It's the holiday season. It's a marshmallow world. And I'm delighted to be joined by the ever so festive, so festive that we changed our recording day to accommodate her holiday decorating and celebration plans. Sarah Sivian, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, Got a boyfriend that is from Texas, so we had to go back home today. So we have to record today instead of yesterday, but we did have a lovely time delightful happy hanukkah merry christmas and happy kwanzaa to you and to all of our listeners and to all the holiday celebrants we would not be too many men without i'm just gonna turn this over to you the new jersey having not new New jersey Jersey. having the new (laughs) jersey having shana golden shana say hi what you got there hi oh we got bestie tajay thompson (laughs) from our friends at Sabres Live, and we are pumped. We don't need to talk about how badly they played in these goat heads the other day, that they cursed them, but we can be so hyped because we all love, we love Tajay around here. We do love Tajay. You said you have one more target, however, comma. What is the new target for your, you've not gotten a jersey all year, and you have one target that you mentioned before we started recording. What was that? He was my target last year. I just needed a night that I got drunk enough to buy it, and I didn't do it. Uh, I want a Yanni Gord home Kraken jersey, although the Winter Classics are so tempting. But they're sold out. Yes. Oh, Oh, did did they? (laughs) They should be sold out. They're sick. And Vegas should not have any sales because they're boring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get to it, my friends. This is um, potentially our holiday episode. We will keep you posted if we're going to enjoy some holiday festivities on our own next week or bring you some updates, but we do want to give you some hockey news and notes before everyone gets to doing whatever they do to celebrate the season. Sarah Sivian, what time is it? Bit of news. I like, we're all zooming today. We're all very active <laughs> yeah. on the camera. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, there's been some, um, certainly chaos in the NHL this season. Uh, And you know what? First, I'm going to make the blanket reminder here that I am all for players saying what they think, whether we like it or not. At least we know what they think. Um, Let's start here with the land of the blues when um, after the firing of their coach, Craig Berube, Jordan Cairo was asked for his thoughts on the matter. And unfortunately, this is a situation where I'll remind you, communication is 20% the words and 80% body language and tone. But Cairo's comments was, quote, as reported by Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, I've got no comment. He's not my coach anymore. And then he promptly proceeded to go out and play the next game and be booed relentlessly uh, by his fans, by the fans of the team, I should say, and was quite emotional in the postgame after literally coming to tears. Um, Sarah, your thoughts on the comments, the fan reaction, and the player reaction to the fan reaction? I mean, it's been a bumpy road with him recently um, on the ice, and a lot of the time that is a result of like 
maybe not having the best coach for you. It doesn't mean Rube is a bad coach. It doesn't mean he didn't get them a cup. Like all of these things are true. And he, I think it's okay to respectfully dislike someone. Like he was respectful in his, if he even dislikes him, it was just like, that's not my coach anymore. And that's a polite way of saying, yeah, I, I know you guys like him. Maybe I don't like, I don't know. I think, we want players to be open. And like you said, like, I want them to be able to say whatever, whether I agree with it or not. And the booing was at least he showed that he care. I mean, if you're a blues fan, it's like, at least, you know, he cares. And then he got really, he scored in the next game and everybody was cheering really hard. So that was like a nice wholesome thing. I think maybe blues fans needed, it's been a weird, like up and down roller coaster of the past, like seven years with the blues. So maybe they just needed to know that he cares and clearly he cares if he's crying. Um, but we just never know what people are going through behind closed doors. So I don't know, like maybe they have a contentious relationship and nobody's the bad guy. Shana, I don't think I can name a single person on this planet that has gotten along with and or liked every single boss they've had. This seems to be a very human thing to me. And again, to Sarah's point, maybe this wasn't even a comment that he didn't like, and maybe he was just ready to move on. It's been a frustrating season. And hey, hot tip, Blues fans, if Craig Berube was really crushing all the notes, he'd still have a job. So <laughs> I'm just saying, what was your reaction to this whole series of events? Very smooth, crushing all the notes. I like that. I feel like that one deserves, you know, Got to give credit where it's due. No, like like you're right. It, this is what person loves every boss they have, but he didn't say anything wrong. And I feel like if this came from someone who was like 33 years old and like our grizzled vet, we'd all be like, yeah, that's fine. He's just trying to turn the page. But because it's Kairu and it's like the young star who's underperformed, it gets so much more heat. And you can make the argument that maybe this wasn't the best coach for him. Like, I think that's completely fair to say. But even if that's not what he meant, and we don't know because he literally didn't indicate it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he was just, being very matter of fact, he's not his coach anymore. What would you like him to say? He could have pumped him up, which would have looked bad for management, or he could have shut all over him, yeah. which would have looked bad for the coach, and it would have looked bad on him. Like, there's no win there. So I think what he said was completely fine. I think it was such an overreaction to boom, and that's your player. It's odd to see fans side so much with the coach who didn't exactly do much in the last few years. Yes, he went, you know brought you to your cup, but he hasn't done much in recent years. To take that side over the player is very odd to me. But and I know people will be like, well, he makes eight million. I don't, I don't care. Like that doesn't matter in this situation. I so I, I, I really did feel for him. And then to be asked about it, like he, he tried to explain himself, and I, I felt really bad for him. But it was nice to see him get the reaction the next game. Absolutely. Well, players continue to share their real live thoughts, and this one was particularly interesting me, interesting to me. Uh, this came a few days ago from the Colorado locker room, and I'm reading this as reported by Jesse Montano on the Twitter. We call it Twitter here. That's what it is. Um, after the loss on the 19th, Devon Tays says, quote, I think we've got some guys who think they're playing well, and I think they're kidding themselves at this point. We have certainly seen lots of commentary from players and coaches about a team needing to step up or a team not maybe being up to where they expect to be. But this feels a little pointed to me when you're talking about maybe some specific players. Again, I still like it. I'm still intrigued. I still want more of it. But Sarah, the abs are not exactly performing badly. They're doing pretty okay right now. What did you make of Devontae's frustration and the words he chose to express it after that game? 
I think they're doing okay because they have this attitude. Like they aren't okay with, they've been, what is it? Four, five, one in their last 10. So they aren't doing great. They aren't doing horrible. They're still third or they're tied for second in the central with the stars. And then the number one team is only beating them both by one. So it's like, they're still very much in it, but that's when you have to have this attitude. And that's like somebody who has been to the cup has this attitude. Somebody once told me who is his old teammate that Devon Taves is like the Michael Jordan of the NHL, which you would never think that, but it, there is was a guy named Michael Jordan in the NHL. He was not the Michael Jordan of the NHL, but this guy has this attitude. That's like very, it makes sense why the team is big winners and how he can thrive with Nathan McKinnon. Cause Nathan McKinnon, apparently Miko Rantanen too, like everybody is pissed off. They lost to the Blackhawks. I'll piss you off. I think this is what they need. Now I'm even like, I'm even more all in on them. I love this attitude. I love that angle. That's really awesome. Shana, do you think to Sarah's point, this is a sign of the honesty and the accountability in the room, or is there anything about this that gives you concern or things that you think the team just needs to hash out internally? I feel like we're all going to jump to the ladder because we're not used to having like one ounce of spice in the NHL. And like, maybe there are things they need to hash out in the room, but I, I think that kind of ties into your first point. Like it's the accountability. It's, it's trying to push everyone to be better. You can't be complacent. You won a cup. You got out in round one the next year. You have to push further. You can't just be good in the regular season. You can't afford to lose, you know, games to the Blackhawks. You have to just keep pushing and find ways to, to push the level that maybe like, they probably have high standards for themselves. Like if, they, if this is who they are and you're a team that's essentially led by Nathan McKinnon, like there's high standards there. So it's nice to see it's not just a one person effort trying to push everyone along. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't mind it. I don't, I think that they, they seem like they have a nice, like a, a like a well-woven room that they can afford to do this. You know, like I I think a well-woven room. I couldn't think of it. What is the better, a, a room that tightly knit, a tightly knit. You should know this. For fuck's sake. A tightly knit room. It, my brain just went completely flat there. They have a tightly knit room that I feel like they can afford that. You know, like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't see why not. We like you want it that's more than just a captain or a coach pushing each other. You want it that everybody wants each other to be great. And like, it's not like this is some scrub. He's a great player. You literally knit. Like you should know. know these things. I've been, you know, I'm on my crocheting <laughs> kick right now. I haven't oh. knit in like a couple months. I've only been crocheting because it's easier to like put it, it down and it. restart. You're in your crocheting era. That's fine. We'll yeah. allow crocheting it. Crocheting era. Get it? Oh, Shayna. Oh my God. <laughs> Every time I say I'm going to crochet, Rich starts on me. So I thought you'd appreciate it. That so This is not my creativity. This is not my strength. Wow. All right, let's move on. We talked about the reaction to one coach being let go. Um, another coach has been let go. We're starting to see all the chips start to fall um, in the good and the bad ways. And the Ottawa Senators finally, um, depending on whose opinion you believe, put DJ Smith out of his misery. Jacques Martin, who was brought in previously as an advisor, assumes the role again of head coach and Daniel Alfredson, a.k.a. Alfie, is back behind the bench Early results are not great. There's been no post-coaching change bounce. The team is still on a five-game losing streak across the two coaching regimes. Um, but what struck out to me, and we were talking about this, is they let the poor man run practice, do media availability, and then they let him go. So the process is kind of out of line with how this usually happens in the league. 
I haven't fully processed if I think that's good, bad, or just different. Um, but DJ Smith is gone. Shayna, DJ Smith is someone you've not been a fan of in this role <laughs> for this team. Is this the right move? Yeah, I I feel bad for him, like as a person, because it does seem like once management changed, once ownership changed hands, it was like, is he going to lose his job again? When management changed hands, and then when they brought Martin, and it's like, how long are you going to last when you have someone waiting? who is like the perfect head coaching option for what this team needs right there. And then they let the man run practice on top of it. And it feels like that's a waste of his time. And it's a waste of the player's time when you could clearly see by the way that they went up three, nothing to Arizona and collapsed that they could have used the new practice from the person brought in to be that defensive specialist. And it, it's kind of funny. Like this team has had a lot of weaknesses and I think defense is probably the most glaring, but you look at it this season and it's like the defense was really terrible and the goaltending was slightly below average, but this comes as the defense is actually trending up, but the goaltending has been God awful. It's a little bit on everyone and the offense sucks too. Like you need to do something. This team should have been better at this point. And I don't think that he's done enough to take them there. I don't think he has the most like innovative approach with how he coaches defense. And I think that was a problem with the Leafs too. when he was an assistant there. So I, I think that they needed a new voice and just new ideas. Sarah, did the process, the way it went down, bother you? And do you think that the Ottawa Senators can be better now that there's a new bench boss? It's just something had to happen. I don't, he hasn't been a great coach for this team for a while. I mean, my question is, why didn't this happen when the Senators like had a chance? But I guess that's been an issue with the senators as a whole, like for the past few years, it's kind of like very reactive the way they do things. And I was enjoying all the nice articles about DJ Smith and the, I know Ian Mendez said that he made sure he wasn't iced out and he was like an, also an advocate for LGBTQ plus rights and things. And he seems like a lovely guy. So good people tend to land on their feet. And I think he's probably a good person and they definitely needed to fire him. Two things can be true. I feel like we that. can hold two truths. <laughs> but that's so sweetly how, too. How he's a good person, and he can. needs to be let go. Yeah, and you always hear it like, "But he's so nice." Like, okay, he needs to be good at his job too. Like, literally. All right. Well, Sarah, you are on it with your analysis, so I'm going to turn to you. You have been oh. our our goaltending expert of late, revealing. Oh the cause of, of problems in the Carolina Hurricanes organization. So I'm going to offer up some headlines here and you can pick which oh. of the multiple goaltending fiascos that are going on you would like to talk about. Of course, we know uh, that Carolina has made some changes in their goaltending tandem. You could talk about that. You could also talk about the fact that in Vegas, their goaltender Logan Thompson is day to day and they're already without their other goaltender, Aiden Hill. And then Detroit, who had three goaltenders on their roster, has apparently like none now. So they're in a bad way. What goaltending situation, or is there one I haven't mentioned, that you're most intrigued or bothered about on the team's behalf? Well, Carolina Hurricanes, let's talk about that. First of all, their old goalie of the future, Alex Nadelkovich, is facing them tonight as a Pittsburgh Penguin. So that's a little funny, huh? Like they could have had it all rolling in the deep. Like they could have just kept Nadelkovich, which I mean, at the time I get why they didn't. But Freddie Anderson, it's, I don't know, the timing is interesting that Freddie Anderson 
could be back skating in a few, like he's going to be cleared to play in maybe a month. I forget what the exact headline was there, but he'll be returning, but that's not going to fix all of the hurricanes goalie problems. Like he is injury prone and obviously he's been off for months. So I don't, I worry about that. And they signed Aaron Dell to a PTO. It's like, well, that's not really going to move the needle much. Um, their best bet is Kachekov. The, the players have been playing well in front of him. And you could just tell the entire team is falling apart every time Rondo was in net. Like that is unfortunate because he's a great guy. But it was one of the situations where you could tell they're playing like tighter and more confident in front of Kachekov. So I'm not as worried as I was now that they sent Ronta down and maybe he's trying to get his confidence back. I don't know, but I still just think they should go for like a John Gibson or something like that. They should probably just make a big swing at this point because it's very clear that goaltending was the issue. Shayna of all the teams struggling with goaltending question marks right now, which one are you most intrigued by? I mean, Huso and Tom uh, and Hill are both killing my fantasy teams. They're those are that's my starting tandem. And then I picked up Logan Thompson, and he got hurt too. So I'm just cursed, and I'm going through it right now. But I want to talk about um, Huso. It's been like a weird year for him because he's had like he's been so streaky, and then you see like Lion come along, and it's like, could he take his you know playing time? Here's the goalie that wasn't even their backup to start the season, which was an odd decision. And then you have Lion get hurt, so you're like, all right. Huso's time to shine and he gets hurt and that's really tough for the Red Wings because now I feel like is their moment to kind of rebuild that momentum that they've had in the beginning then they had like another stretch of it now it's like Larkin's back you have Kane you have a more well-rounded offense like go off and you now have James Reimer as your starter that's a problem but it also makes the whole league-wide picture more interesting because the goalie market like how many teams like the Canes like the Devils need a goaltender and like the Oilers you would think Lion or Reimer could have been one of those options to be on the trade market, and now they're both hurt. Now you see Vegas is down two goalies. Are they going to be in the market? So now it's going to get strained even further. So does someone like Jake Allen all of a sudden develop like a shit ton of value he probably shouldn't have? Like, I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see like how long Huso's out for because we don't know. At least Lion's going to be back in a couple games. Always interesting. The position that I think everyone spends the least time trying to understand can literally fundamentally make or break your team. And Right now, it's breaking a lot of teams. Wait, um, wait, before we move on, we have yes. a hockey talk one. Can we do it now? Because it's on theme and you now discuss a goalie situation. What goalie situation isn't breaking a team right now? Well, the Seattle Kraken are actually surviving quite well with uh, Philip Grubauer out uh, with a lower body injury week to week. And I have to say, and I, I have said this before and others have said it, public facing metrics are not perfect, particularly when it comes to shot quality. JT Brown has been excellent on this. Um, the XG models that are putting Grubauer and Decord as two of the worst goaltenders in the league, it, it, it's just not, I, I'm saying as someone who watches, it's just not right. It's fundamentally not right. But Joey Decord tied a franchise record for saves. He actually broke the record for saves last night. And then the NHL took one away because they hate fun. And so <laughs> now it's a tie for the franchise record. Um, but Joey Decord is a really fun goaltender to watch. Um, Chris Drieger is up as well while Grubauer is out. Um, and I would imagine he'll probably see some action at some point, but if you ever have the chance in all seriousness, I would say take in a crack in game because Joey Decord is a very mobile goaltender. So he plays a little differently and that's really fun to watch. So yeah, the Kraken goaltending situation seems to be 
hanging in there with the support, I should say, of some really tremendous defense in front of the net uh, protecting the net front area. Is that what you wanted me to say? Yeah. I mean, like, listen, you get us to, you tee us up all the time, but sometimes like you have to give your super smart analysis and like what better opportunity is there than this? Because I mean, who knows it better? Exactly. And there's never, it's never as simple as the expected goals. Like it is a, an, a really convenient stat to have at your disposal, but like stats really help paint a picture of what you think you're seeing and you have to trust your eyes and trust kind of like you're not like you said like Allison you have a very good understanding of how technically the goaltending position actually works so you are able to say okay this stat looks funky let me explain that and that's like a true understanding of how to apply statistics yeah for sure and I mean we've we've written on this and we've talked about it too but like shot quality metrics are great but they're also so imperfect. There's so much they don't capture or that they're guessing at based on other things, but they don't actually know if it's a rush chance just because they cannot. It's not a fault of the creator. It's a fault of the data that we have. So yes, Sarah, I think you said it perfectly. They they give us more information to make a good decision, but they can't be the only source of information for a decision. You heard it first from a nerd. You can't not watch the games. Like who knew? Who knew if you were doing real analysis, you had to do both at once. Like, I didn't know. Had no idea. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go back to things that are, in fact, broken. You totally ruined my transition, Shana. See, I was going things that were broken. Philip Grubauer is broken. The data is broken. (laughs) Analysis is broken. (laughs) Everything is broken. (laughs) It is the season. (laughs) So another thing that is broken is that Mikhail Sergachev uh, left the game after blocking a shot from Colton Pareko the other day. Um, obviously a big long-standing piece of that Tampa Bay team. Sarah, were you able to take this in? Do you have thoughts on what it might mean if he is gone for any little bit of time for a team that is trying to hang on to some championship ways, but is aging a little bit more and more out of it every single day? exactly like let go baby that's what it means it's time to unleash like just let it go but I feel like all the other teams in the Atlantic are kind of shockingly weak so it gets to a point where you're like okay it might be enough for another playoff run for them but I don't know Sergeyev yeah that's a huge loss he is kind of not underrated but he's like a very valuable player on that team that kind of holds lose it together when other people aren't playing up to their strengths and other people are not playing up to their strengths. So it might be the start of the downfall. And by the downfall, you mean like easing out of the playoffs. Easing out. Yes. I like that. All right. We're going to switch to one last topic and y'all we're going to do our best to follow along with this and share updates because we believe that all hockey deserves attention. And we are so lucky to have the best when it comes to covering the women's game. And that is Shayna Goldman. Shayna, can you just bring our listeners up to speed? There's rosters out for the PWHL. The season begins January 1st, officially 2024. There's been lots going on. There's been some concerning reports, but then some evidence that those reports were incomplete, I should say, or maybe not telling the whole story. What should our listeners know and be concerned about and be excited about with the new league starting their action in the calendar year? Yeah. So opening day is January 1st. The games I know in Canada will be streamed on CBC. I think some are going to be like Sportsnet. 
we don't know details for the U.S., so please hold on that. Um, but don't be discouraged, you know, like still hang out. Uh, but rosters are rounding out, which is super exciting. We saw a little bit of preseason in Utica, so teams could see what they needed, what they didn't need, and, you know, other players who were playing for jobs, maybe that solidified their role or they went elsewhere. So it's really exciting to have six rosters to now, like, start talking about the hockey talk of it all, right? There is some, you know, like, outside information coming out about things that have to do with salaries and contracts and I would just say know who to listen to, who not to listen to. There are some really great voices out there. And also remember, not everybody is Hillary Knight and not everybody was put in that same position as like the early signings and the big names were. So some things take time. So I would caution patience with some things. It's literally never easy or simple in women's hockey, but don't be discouraged by it because like there will be games soon. And that's going to be so important that there's going to be, you know, six teams in action with super skilled roster, some of the best on best competition we've all wanted. Um, it's a step forward and yes, there's a ton of flaws there, but like, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. So it's going to be exciting to see Marie-Philippe Poulin, you know, up in Montreal killing it. It's going to be exciting to see the Sarah nurses and the Hillary Knights of the world, but we're also going to see Elena Mueller in Boston. Like that's so exciting. Sophie Jakes in Boston. Sophie Jakes in Boston, how she was available you know, I think it was 10th overall. I I don't know. We have Jinsey in Ottawa, a team that like, you have to question, do they have enough oomph per 60 and things like that? I think she's going to be someone that provides it. And so does someone like Akani Shiga. So there's so many exciting players and it's going to be nice to see how these players translate outside of the international game, outside of different leagues. You know, like some players who maybe we know to be offensive forces from the NCAA weren't given that chance at the international level because there's so many superstars. Maybe now's their, their chance, you know, to be the star of their own team. So it, it's a really exciting time that's always surrounded by a shitstorm. But like, give it a shot and hopefully we figure out how the fuck we can all consume this very soon. Sarah, I know as a national reporter, you've got a lot going on, but do you hope to get to any games near you? Yeah, opening day, January 3rd. So that is exciting as hell in Boston. And I'm loving Hillary Knight's TikToks. Like she's definitely trying to hype up the team. She's always been on TikTok and I love that she's kind of taking us through the journey. I'm really excited still. Yeah. Um, obviously the rollout has not been perfect, but it's still fun. Like I'm going to take my niece to some games. That's so great. I love that so, so much. All right, y'all. Uh, we do have an unfortunate return to one of our least favorite, but arguably most important segments. We have an entrant for the shit list and in honor I don't even know if that's the right term. Uh, World Juniors are going to be starting here in the next couple days. Um, and it is the year, I just want you all to remember, it is the year 2023. And as of this recording, we still have no public reporting or information on the investigation into the 2018, 2023, 2018, for those of you hard at math, five years. Canadian World Junior Team and some accusations and investigations into some egregious acts of sexual assault. Uh, at the Board of Governors meeting earlier this month, and I'm reading this as reported by Chris Johnston, Gary Bettman said, quote, the process is continuing and we're trying to bring it to a conclusion. It's complicated. It hasn't been easy for a whole host of reasons, but we're continuing to progress on the process. And then Rick West had reported, just earlier this week on the 19th, who continues to do excellent work, um, unafraid to ask the hard questions and go into the hard places, 
shared this update, and I'm reading his tweet. Some provincial and national sports organizations say they are weighing the potential legal exposure of making public the names of adults who have been sanctioned for misconduct. One NSO exec told me, quote, a lawsuit could shut us down. The same exec agreed that a lawsuit filed by a victim who alleged an abuser's identity was kept secret by an NSO could also bankrupt an organization. Meanwhile, Skate Canada has been publishing a sanctions registry since 2015. The organization told me today that no one ever has sued it over its registry or even threatened to sue. Skate Canada's registry includes 12 people who have been expelled by this sport, as well as the name of eight others who have been assessed an interim suspension pending the completion of an investigation. The spokesperson for Skate Canada said, quote, in recent years, board conversations have focused on the merits of publishing sanctions, which Skate Canada believes far outweighs the risk. Five years, Sarah, five fucking years. I, I don't even know where to start with this. Thoughts. It just makes them look even worse when they promised something and they said they would have it at a relatively certain time and then they don't. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know if this is a logical fallacy, but it makes you think like something bad, something even worse than we imagine happened. Like that is just human nature to assume that if they're like, well, we're not going to actually reveal this anymore. And it's like, well, you're just making per potentially innocent people look bad and making us speculate on that. And it's just a step in the completely wrong direction. And it's hard to take any reparations they may be making or alleging to be making seriously. It's hard to take the new board of trustees and the new head of everything, like all the changes that they made. It's like, well, we'll wait and see. And now it looks like they're not making the right decisions. So it really is a shit show to put it lightly. Shayna, we know that um, the victim in this case has shared their story multiple times. It does seem hard to think that with with that kind of honesty and with a limited list of people who could be involved, that it seems hard to understand how this could be taking this long. Uh, what is your frustration level or are there areas of grace that you have for this process still being ongoing? No, I don't have areas of grace for any of it. Um, I have grace for little things and this is definitely not one of them. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like some people are like, oh, why would you want to ruin these players' lives? And it's years ago and things like that. And like, I hear you, but if you do something wrong, you can't, this can't just be brushed under the rug because players are, you know, gold medalists or NHL players or anything like it. That's not it. I hope this situation dragging out doesn't weigh on the victim. I am hoping that this provides the closure that maybe they were missing um, I feel for them throughout the, like, this entire process that it just feels like isn't prioritized ever. And that must be really challenging to deal with. So hopefully we see if we're seeing situations wrap up like the fucking no trade list of the Golden Knights and and, and consequences from that. Like, please, can we actually deal with things that matter? And I know this isn't solely on the NHL and it's a bigger situation than that. But, you know. The hockey community should get closure on this and there should be something tangible that can be learned from this to ensure it doesn't happen again. And the more it gets brushed under the rug, it feels like the further away you get from that. Definitely a frustrating situation. Definitely something that uh, we hope is resolved um, and publicly resolved soon um, and that the truth can come out. Uh, all right. Let's move on. We have some hockey talk, my friends. 
And I am going to kick it right back to you, Shana, because this first topic we wanted to discuss is something that you just put out a tremendous article on, on The Athletic. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. And shout out to Megan Cheka and Stathletes for providing some really sweet data to support um, your work. But the question I ask you is Alexander Ovechkin, age 38, in pursuit of the all-time goal-scoring lead m- name on the top of the list, is he done? Is he cooked? No. Tell no. us. Nope. Um, I think we're all forgetting he scored 42 goals a year ago, and we know that declines can be very sharp, and we have such a small sample of players to work with at age 38 that make it even more difficult to know like the tendencies and patterns. But I think we're just seeing a couple things like come to a head here. One of it is the team he's playing around. You can see at even strength, he doesn't have as many passers to set him up. Dylan Strom, who set him up a lot last year, is more of a shoot first player. And that's coming through more this season versus last year. His pass rate is down. So the same with Kuznetsov. It's not like they have a great playmaking winger to set him up. And then on the power play, the fact that they don't have all these threats like they used to means that penalty killers can cheat towards him a little bit more or be more willing to go into shooting lane and not worry that if they block his shot, something bad's going to happen because you have Oshi, you have Backstrom, or even like further back, you had someone like Troy Brower in the net front area that you had to be worried about from those super dynamic years. Like, yes, Ovechkin was your biggest threat, but you couldn't open the door to everything else. So you're seeing now him get the puck even less, and that was really clear last year. The other thing is, more, and you're seeing more of his shots get blocked because he's still creating a shit ton of shots, but a lot of them are getting blocked. The other thing is, how he's getting set up when he does take a shot because the shot rate isn't that far down, especially on the power play compared to last year. Um, but you can see that he's getting, and this is what the pass map from Megan, like it shows it so perfectly. I went through every one timer he's taken this year on the power play. And you can see how many are getting set up from a point shot versus a lateral pass. And the goalie is able to get set almost every single time for that shot, which is why he hasn't had success with it yet versus some sort of chaos. Like the goalie scored wasn't the one power play goal he scored just one, which is crazy to think about. Um, it was started with a lateral passing play and kind of created some chaos. And if you go through his goals last year, half of those one-timer shots were set up by a lateral pass that ended up in a goal. So you need to adjust and it feels like the league's getting away from that. And I know that's what's worked for him forever, but it's not right now. Sarah, I was firmly in the camp that I said Ovechkin was going to break the record and take sole claim of the number one spot. But again, this season has been underperforming. Are you still camp, I say he does it? Or are you camp, he's washed? I think he's still going to do it. I can't see him. Just this is the worst drought of his career. Um, the previous one was 10 games without a goal in 2017. But it's such an outlier. And obviously everything Shana said is very accurate. So if he can just find a way to shoot a little differently to kind of evade again, I, I think he's going to do it. But I think it was also the balance of trying to get this record, but at the same time still have a good, like, I think he wanted to also make a statement that like, he's going to not just focus on this record and he's going to like assist the rest of the team because he's still been, like Shana said, generating shots. Like he's generating some offense still in different ways. And I just think maybe it was a wake up call for everyone where it was like, wait, like we still need to play a complete hockey game. Like we, I, I don't know. I, I, I really struggle with just putting a fork in him right now. I would see how he ends this season and how next season goes. I think obviously next season is going to be huge and he needs to have like the huge bounce back, but I'm not going to count it. There's so much data 
that just shows how good he has been, even when the team has been bad. So and how many goals he scored at every single year. So I'm just kind of like, this is alarming and scary and I don't like it, but I think next year it's like, okay, either we, we can start to get worried like Thanksgiving next year, if he's not scoring, this is such an outlier that it's crazy. Excellent. Well, we will mark next Thanksgiving as our crisis point is what <laughs> we will do. <laughs> All right. Well, Sarah, one thing that this group loves is we love a good comeback or we love a good revenge, whichever word you like calling it better story. And with that in mind, let's talk about Gabe Velarde, right? Gets traded in the off season from the Kings to Winnipeg in exchange as part of the exchange for Pierre-Luc Dubois comes back in a big way. The time that these two teams met puts up a four-point night against the Kings a couple about a week ago. And ever since then, he's a goal at least per game player and has 10 points, five of which are goals in his last four games. Talk about Gabe Velarde just crushing it right now and the power of motivation to prove your former bestie, boyfriend, girlfriend, team, whatever you want to call it, wrong. I love proving people wrong. There's nothing he does better than revenge, I suppose. And I love how different things can motivate in this late. Like this is why I watch sports. I really love to see something that's a narrative. And this is why I report on sports. Like I love when the narrative comes true and that like, it's not always just on a spreadsheet or about something technical. Like there are so many contextual factors. And I like when you bet on yourself and prove yourself right. Shana, what do you like about what Gabe Velarde is doing right now? I mean, I feel like what we've known about him for his like short career is like when he's healthy, he's super effective. And that's true again. So it's really nice to see like how he's come back from injury, like just firing on all cylinders. And it's so important for Winnipeg because when Kyle Connor got hurt, we were all like, okay, where does the offense come from now? That's what you need. Helen Buck is doing his thing and we love that for him. But there's the other side of the ice to worry about. And he has stepped up into that top line role so well for them he is thriving with Shipley and Ehlers and it works that he is too like Ehlers is good at literally everything Shipley's more of a playmaker so it's like a complimentary skill set there he can be the primary shooter on that line he can be the star of that line and he's helping drive play he's helping create a ton of offense it's uh, to me encouraging it's not just power play production like he's killing it at five on five so um I think it's so important for the Jets that they have this and even when Connor comes back if this can keep up like you're gonna have even it's a good problem to have like how do we separate the offense now do we have two scoring lines and like I can't remember the last time I could say Winnipeg has two really 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 good scoring lines if you can keep Velarde and Connor separate and have them both clicking like you're in really good shape so this is great for the player and it's even better for the team absolutely we love we love a good revenge motivated come back on fire. All right, y'all. Well, we are at the close of the calendar year 2023. We're going to be keeping our eyes on fun stories that are going to make or break the rest of this season and the year of 2024 for teams. We'll be bringing you some winter classic headlines. This is all craziness. The league has taken over Seattle. So uh, once we figure out how that's all going, we'll let you know. Um, but before we wrap up, right before the actual Christmas holiday, for those of you who celebrate, it is time to end with our very favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. Sarah, you are up first. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. 
This is a nomination from our dear listener and follower on social, Christine Hager. And as a reminder, you can always send us your nominations for Fuck, Mary Kill, along with all the mentions when there's too many men call. We love to see it. It's fantastic and boots on the ground. But here we go, Sarah. Fuck, Mary Kill, the rule change ideas that will never happen, but you'd love to see. Number one, two-minute penalty ends when either team scores. Number two, I love this one, offside video reviews can only be reviewed at full speed. And number three, penalty shot can be taken by anyone on the team. The floor is yours. God, these are some good ones. I'm going to marry, I'm going to be sensible and marry the one that says any player scoring on any team kind of ends the man advantage. I think that makes the most sense. And they do that in other sports. And it's like, okay, that's practical. I'm going to marry my practical boy. <laughs> I'm going to, um, I'm going to kill the videos at full speed because I think they should speed it up. <laughs> like they can only watch it on two times the speed. Like, make your decision now, huh? <laughs> But it is so true that sometimes whenever we post like a highlight of a bad hit and it's like in slow motion, it's like, they look like, oh, sorry. She's here <laughs> for my demonstration. Um, they look like they're putting their elbow into it or whatever, even more because it is slowed down. Like that's not the speed it was actually happening at people. And you can make any hit look dirty. And I am going to fuck the, anybody can take a penalty shot because that would be fun. I don't know. I'm here for the vibes. I'm here for the drama. Like that would be fun for gambling for me. And it's all about my parlays. So Shana, what are your answers? I'm going to agree. Um, oh. The offside review I would kill, but it's because I would not be changing the rules around it. I would either be abolishing it altogether or building technology that allows you to see what like put sensors in the boards and in the pucks, you know, like there are sensors in the pucks. Exactly. But now match them with ones on the boards that Good it can ones. tell. But then there have to be sensors in the skate and all body parts. Listen, I'm just saying I don't make this shit. They're smarter people than me. Figure something out or get rid of it altogether. But I feel like if it's if you speed up the video, then you're going to have reviews that take triple the time because the referees are like, wait, I can't see. I have to watch it again. And it would just be terrible. <laughs> um I'll fuck the penalty shot idea because I, I like that idea in theory, but I would tweak it a little bit. So I don't want to commit to it. I would say anybody on the ice at the time of the infraction can take the shot. I like, okay. I think that might be a way to kind of like balance the scales. And then I would marry the uh, penalty kill ending with anyone scoring a goal, because think about it. You have to kill a penalty. If you are scoring a goal, is that not killing it? Why is it enduring it for two minutes the way to kill it off? You're killing off the time or you're killing off the penalty. Like, I feel like we should look at it two different ways. And I would say killing off the penalty is taking it to the team on the power play and scoring a goal. And I think that would make for a more exciting product and a league that goes, you know, the game itself is what they market on. Okay, shorthanded goals, to me, are the most exciting thing that you can have. Way more than a power play goal, as pretty as those can be. Like the momentum swing of a good penalty kill or a shorthanded shot, or better yet, a goal, is what you should be encouraging. So I say go for that and marry it. Okay. I disagree. <laughs> Let's see. Here's what, I, here's, what I, here's what I have. I'm going to marry the offside video reviews can only be reviewed at full speed. And here's why. 
because like Sarah was saying, like it has to be noticeable enough that it truly impacts the play. When we're talking about like a centimeter or a centimeter, like five minutes ago, it didn't impact the play. So if it's noticeable at full speed, you get to go watch it again. If it's noticeable at full speed, then it is something that truly is going to impact the team's ability to score a goal. So that's why I'm going to marry that. I think that's important. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to kill penalty shot can be taken by anyone on the team because that's hashtag team shootout. And I don't like shootouts because now we're just taking away the team nature of it. It's strategy. I get it, but I, I cannot. And therefore I will fuck the two minute penalty ends when either team scores, because while you're right, Chana, that it does mean you shouldn't have to keep killing. Like you've already scored a goal and like, that's a big momentum shift too. And I think that that matters on both sides. And so I don't, that one's not as important to me. Those are my answers. That's fair. Nice. I always like it when Shana allows it to be okay. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. No, I mean, you, she's our my, referee. Like, exactly. And I'm I, I'm the referee and I'm going to be the one that's reviewing these plays at full speed. Like I'm ready for my next job. This is my next venture. But I like that like we have different answers because as you were saying that, I'm like, hmm, like maybe I should have fucked the review one and killed the penalty shot one. Like I, you got me thinking and that's that's what we're trying to do here. With our lady brains. We got people thinking. Oh, I don't know whoa. what we can do We knew we that. were capable. Wow. 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 <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, that's what we have for you this week. Um, first and foremost, we wish happy holiday wishes to all who are celebrating and we wish times with loved one, be they a born to you family or a chosen to you family to celebrate this time of year and find a little joy wherever you can find it. If finding it means that you are part of the Too Many Men family, we welcome you and we love you right back. Follow us on social at two underscore much underscore man, man on Twitter and on the Instagram and two hyphen much hyphen man on the blue sky. If you don't want to interact with us on social, but you still want to rep your TMM swag, go to TooManyMenMerch.com and get something to wear, to put on your head, to drink out of, or to write in to show that you love Too Many Men and know that we love you. And until we talk next time, we ask each of you as a gift to not just yourself, but to others and to the world of hockey to do something, no matter how big or small, to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.